Good morning. My name is Philip, and I will be bringing the second Bible reading. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 to the end of the chapter, and the first two verses in chapter 6. Verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of a double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of the favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the, pla reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, and the sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are, served, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their services are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge them. Amen. And may God add his blessing to his word. Thank you, Philip. Uh, good morning, friends. Lovely to see you, whether here or in the hall or online. My name's Pete Sorensen. I'm one of the elders here. It's my great privilege to bring this part of God's Word to us. Uh, a special good morning to you if you're uh, visiting with us, or if you're either online or in the hall investigating Jesus, or thinking about church. You've come to a really interesting part of the Bible. Uh, it is very much a part of God's Word for His people. But I'm hoping as you listen along, you'll see how wonderful it would be to be part of of his people and how wonderful the God of those people is. So how about I pray for us and then let's look at this part of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you for uh, teaching us how to live as your people. We pray we would hear from you this morning. We would learn these things if we are your people and we'd be convicted to be, of how wonderful it would be to be among them if we are not. We pray we would do these things for Jesus' sake and for his honour. Amen. A much-loved tradition in the Sorensen household is Saturday night movie night. Uh, the problem is that with two boys and four girls, finding a movie that suits them all seems almost impossible. And so, for example, the Pokemon movie. It's fair to say that wasn't a favourite of the ladies. Or, on the other hand, Little Women, to choose another example, brought audible groans from at least one boy. Uh, who shall remain nameless as the only son of the Sorensen household. <laughs> but when the kids were little, there was one movie that managed to please us all. What was it? It was the Disney movie Cars. 
Now, for those of you who don't know it, the story revolves around an arrogant young racing car named Lightning McQueen. Here he is. Who begins the movie uh, poised to become the first ever rookie to win the coveted Piston Cup. But with the kind of crisis and kind of moral crisis you need to, to drive the rest of a Disney movie, Lightning is a car with a weakness. What is it? He thinks he can go it alone. He thinks it's a solo sport. And so true to form, uh, in the race that should have sealed him the win, he ignores the pit crew, his tyres blow out, and he throws away the win. And after the race, veteran racing legend, Mr. The King, comes to Lightning, and what does he say? He says, hey, buddy, in the American accent, I won't attempt, you're one gutsy racer. You've got more talent in one lug nut than a lot of cars do in their whole body, but you're foolish. This ain't no one-man deal, kid. You need to wise up. Get yourself a good crew chief and a good team. And you ain't going to win unless you've got good folks behind you and you let them do the job like they should. And basically the rest of the movie is Lightning McQueen learning that lesson. And the reason I raise it this morning is is because what is true for Lightning McLean is also true for us. See, one of the really great risks for people like us, even in a church like ours, is that we make what I'm calling the great McQueen mistake. What's that? It's that we try to run the Christian race as if it's a solo sport. We try to live the Christian life as if we can go it alone. But here's the thing, according to God, it's not and you can't. You were never designed to race that way. You were never saved to live that way. No, we were saved, if you trust in Christ, to now be part of a team. And to have, if you like, good folks behind us. And we need to honour those folks. We heard it last week, do you remember, that, that to be saved by Christ is to be saved into a family. And that in Christ, we are now to each other brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. In fact, it wasn't just last week. In fact, right through the letter, chapter 1, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Chapter 1 again, Timothy, my son. Chapter 3, the, the purpose statement of the letter. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And the question, of course, is how do you do it? How do you live as part of God's household? Well, today Paul says you do it by honouring elders. Honour your elders at church, he says, who work hard in God's word for your sake. Have a look there, verse 17. Do you have your Bibles? Verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now, when it comes to honouring elders, notice, first of all, that it's not the position we honour, but the person. 
Not the fact they have some title, but the way they do their work. What work is that? Well, it's managing us through the work of sharing God's word. Back in chapter 4, Paul said, you remember, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And you see, that's the work of the elder. Or, or to stick with that Lightning McQueen image, that's what we need our pit crew doing. You know, to keep us fueled for the race, to keep us there on the track. See, Paul says, you see, if you have elders who do that well, whether here in public or there in private or there on the phone or there in our homes, because after all, lots of churches don't, and it's awful if you don't, but if you do, Paul says, honour them. Honour your elders at church who work hard in God's word for your sake. Who are those people for us? Well, on the one hand, it's simply that group who we call elders, and some of whom we're voting for even this week. But more particularly, I think, as we try to obey these words, it's our pastoral staff who have especially set aside to do this work for us. In other words, it's John. It's Ollie. And in a derivative sort of way, it's Michelle. Those are the ones we're called to honour. How? Well, lots of ways, I guess, from, from the ways we speak to them to the ways we speak about them. From simply turning up to being here at church to telling them we're grateful for what they do for us. There are lots of ways we can honour them. I'm sure you can think of more. But, but the two particular ways Paul zeroes in on, did you see them, are pay and protection. Did you see? Pay for the work they do and protection from the slander to come. First of all, pay. See, verse 18, verse 18. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. Now, just as an aside, by the way, do you notice how Paul quotes both the Old and the New Testament and calls them both scripture? In other words, God's word written down. Do not muzzle the ox. That's Deuteronomy 25. That's scripture, Paul says. The worker deserves his wages. That's Luke 10. That's scripture, Paul says. From beginning to end, the Bible is the word of God. And that word of God demands that we pay our pastors. Not that the way it says it, though, did you notice, is altogether flattering. After all, no offense, John, Ollie, in that derivative way, Michelle, you understand that image, don't you? You are the ox. You are the laborer. They say back in the day, the way it worked was this. You'd have your grain and you'd throw it on the ground. And then you'd take your ox, you'd tie him to a pole, and he'd walk around and around treading the grain. Around and around, separating the seed from the husk. And the nasty thing to do, the cruel thing to do, was to put a muzzle around his mouth. So as he got weary from doing your work, as he looked for reward for work done for you, he was stopped by you from being fed from the work he did. 
Paul says, if you want to honor your elders, don't do that to them. After all, if it's not right, not right for the beast who works in the field for you, and it's not right for these beasts, and again, really no offense, <laughs> who work in the word for us. And I wonder if we consider that as we decide how we'll give to this church. Paul says part of the reason we give is to honor their work in the word. Part of the reason we give is to feed these beasts, and the last time I'll use the word, I promise, who have given their lives for us. We honor our elders through pay, Paul says. Worthy pay for worthy work. And we honor our elders through protection, Paul says. See verse 19, verse 19. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Now the funny thing is, I don't know if you realize this, but, but all Paul is saying here is what God has said for thousands of years is always true for all of his people. Deuteronomy chapter 19. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, ever since Moses, this has been true for all of God's people all of the time. And so my question has been, why does Paul feel the need to especially say it here for elders? I take it as because for our elders, this is a particular occupation hazard. Did you know that? When you're an elder, you can especially expect slander and accusations to come. And when they do, Paul says, that is, when they come to us, don't entertain them for a moment. That is, don't take them on. Don't spread them around. Don't be delighted to know. After all, I think if we're honest, that's how often, so often as we are, isn't it? That's how reality TV shows work, if you didn't have noticed. That, that, that's how magazines sell. We, we delight to know the dirt. We want to share the goss. I mean, you know, did, did you hear what they say that our minister said? Did you hear what they say that he did? I mean, I only tell you so we can pray about it, of course, but did you hear? You know, I once heard of one person's response when everyone brought to them this sort of gossip or complaint like that. Do you know what they'd say? Wow, that, that's terrible. What did the pastor say when you brought that complaint to them? I mean, that's what you did, didn't it, as, as God's word commands you to do. I, I'm told the conversation changed pretty quickly, pretty much from there on in. And that's what we're to do, do you see? Unless it's proved, until it's shown, protect your elder from that. See, friends, I don't know if you realize, but in ways that many of us will never know and never see, John and Ollie and Michelle, and with them, Cassie and Yvonne, will bear a burden of complaint and slander that, if left unchecked, will tempt them to give up this work. And we don't want that, do we? We love them too much, they serve us too well. And so this is what we have to do. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. 
And if it is brought by witnesses, if it is shown to be true, and we've brought it to them and they've refused to change, then as Michael in my growth group just last Wednesday said, just as we doubly honour them, so we must doubly hold them to account. See it, verse 20. Those elders who are sinning, or some translations put it, persist in sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. After all this, see, theirs is a public role. And so there's a public rebuke. Back in chapter 4, do you remember? Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And the time we saw, what a privilege. What an honor. But the flip side is true for our elders, do you see? If they don't watch these things, if they persist in sin, the effects will be disastrous. Both on our church and our lives. And so again, Paul says to us, to the church, don't do what you'll be tempted to do if that sad day ever comes. Don't just cover it up. Don't just move them on. Don't be fooled. You're protecting the church by just making it all go away. You see, you're not, Paul says. The church must be warned. Other elders must be warned through our public, courageous rebuke. And friends, that's true no matter who it is. Even if it was those who we know and love so well. That's why Paul goes on there in verse 21, doesn't he? You see verse 21? I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. In other words, before the watching eye of God, Paul says, before that heavenly court, no matter who this is, this is what we must do. I don't know about you, but but I can't help but wonder with all the stories we've heard in recent years of Mark Driscoll or Ravi Zachariah or even the Royal Commission and those awful things exposed, how many of those could have been stopped if this word of God was obeyed? Did you hear it? it? It's pay, it's protect, it's rebuke. And finally, Paul says, take care. Or better yet, take time when you commission new elders to serve. Be sure of who they are. Be sure of how to live, how they live. See, don't do that thing that we're often so tempted to do, you know, where where you judge a book by its cover. You You cast your vote by charisma. No, he says, look for the character. Listen for conviction. It's godliness and gospel we need. And seeing that takes time. That's why he says there, verse 22, do you see it? Do not be hasty in the laying of hands. I think it's why he says there in verse 24 as well. You see verse 24? The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind. In the same way, good deeds are obvious. And even those not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. 
It's a bit like, if you like, a beach ball in the pool. I know it's the wrong season, but you can imagine summer, right, and beach balls. We're dreaming of summer and beach balls. You try to hold it down into the surface. Sooner or later, it will spring up. If you give it time, it will be seen, either the sin, Paul says, or the good. Both will show their face, and we need to look for both. After all, I should say, it can't be enough, can it? You know, just to do that wedding day thing. You know, the wedding day thing. You know, we're there in the service. The minister turns to the congregation and, and what does he say? He says something like, if anyone can find just cause why this couple cannot be legally wed and, you know, and the bride smiles at the groom and, and, and typically the groom glares at the crowd and the, and the minister makes some nervous joke. And, and the point is, as long as there's nothing wrong, then everything's all right. But you see here, that's, that's not enough for this. We hear not, not just the absence of wrong, but the presence of right. Not just obvious sin, but, but clear and obvious good. That's what we need to see. And seeing that takes time. And so Paul says, take your time. Take care. Guard the gate to this role. That's why, by the way, the process we have here at this church for appointing elders is so very good. Do you realize that? With all that training and nominating and voting and interviews and, and the time we take to see them serve. It's why, by the way, a slide like this is so very good. You see, you thought up until now this was a really boring slide, didn't you? As week after week we've been seeing this in our nominations. But, but this is a sign that this is being done. That care is being shown. It's why, by the way, it's really wonderful we're learn, launching that uh, apprentice training uh, sessions here. You remember the, the launch session in, in sometime in August? A number of people from our church really should give it a go because that's what it does. It tests, it trains, it gives us a chance to see. And anyway, honour your elders at church, Paul says, who work hard in God's word for your sake. And then he says in those last two verses there, honour your masters at work. For the sake of God's word and his name. Now one of my most uh, 1990s uh, Christian CDs from this very group. Uh, that's me in the middle. Uh, no, it's not really. It was a pretty striking likeness in the day though. It has a quote that says this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, whether that really is the greatest cause, you know, I'm not so sure. But, but either way, Paul says, may that never be us. Do you see it? May the lives we lead never give reason for the world to think less of our God. See chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of respect. Why? So that God's name... And our teaching may not be slandered. As one author put it once, the Christian is not like a postman. They can do what they like as long as the message is sent. And we're far more like walking billboards whose lives promote the truth we proclaim. And so do that, Paul says. Even as slaves with your masters. Now, it's important to point out here that when we hear that word slave, we probably think of the awful 
African slave trade of the 19th century where so many were stolen and shackled and brutalized or or some other equivalent you know of today and that was and is a godless thing. In in fact, that's what this very letter calls it. Do you remember in in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it calls us ungodly, sinful, unholy. That's what God says and that's what it was and is. But in the time that this was written, there was also another kind of slavery that included doctors, lawyers, teachers, where maybe, maybe three out of ten of the whole population were right then slaves. And another four out of ten used to be. And some of them had a very good life. And, and some of them didn't. But, but Paul says to all, be the billboard. Honour your master. For the honour and glory of God. For the, for the sake of his word and his name. And friends, I want to say, if that was true for them as slaves to masters, how much more for us with our masters at work, our teachers at school? No matter how hard that will be for some of us who have very difficult masters, teachers, bosses. And I think this is a wonderful word to us. You see, after all we've just read about honouring elders, how important they are, you might be tempted to think it's in the elders that where the action is. They're the ones who do the work. But what does Paul say? No, God works through you as well, even at your workplace. How you live, how you work, how you treat your teacher or your boss, that matters to what the world thinks of the God we know in Christ. What a privilege and responsibility we have. To honour your masters at work, Paul says, for the sake of God's word and his name. And especially, he says, as we heard in that kids talk, for our masters who, like us, believe. For the ones who are part of our team. And friends, can you imagine... What a difference it would make if we did. The honouring elders, honouring masters, if all of us did, for all of this week, for all of our life, what joy it would bring to our elders. What honour it would bring to our God. So let me ask you, as we, as we finish for this morning, how will you? What one way will you choose to obey this word this week? You know, we started our time together this morning with that a story of Lightning McQueen and cars. And do you know how that story ends? This is a massive spoiler alert, by the way, so you haven't seen the movie. It's now wrecked for you, but anyway, here we go. It's not with a triumphant McQueen standing alone on the podium. But instead, do you know what it is? It's McQueen surrounded by his team, supported by his pit crew. And in one of the most touching moments at the end of the movie, in seeing his crew chief honoured, by an always watching world. Friends, may God in his kindness do that for us as well. As we honour our elders at church who work hard in God's word for our sake. 
and we honor our masters at work for the sake of God's word in his name. Let's pray that we will, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for your wonderful mercy in Christ, that you would save us to be part of your household through him. For those of us listening, Father, if that's not the case, we pray today might be a day they take one step closer to joining us in this wonderful family. For those of us who are part of this family, Heavenly Father, may we obey this word. May we honour our elders who work hard in your word for our sake. May we honour our masters that you might be glorified. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.